Good morning. I'm Dottie. This is my husband, Brett. We're going to be reading Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. And I'm reading out of the ESV. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed, clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Join me in praying. Gracious Father, Lord, your, uh, your word tells us that, um, that all of it is useful to us. And Father, this, this is a hard passage. Um, Father, one that we, I really want to believe is not applicable to any of us. Um, but Father, in, in truth, at times it's applicable to me. And, um, and Lord, I pray that you will keep, keep this church, keep this body from, from that slight step that puts us in this position where we're not alive. Um, Father, keep us, protect us. Father, I pray that your word will continue to encourage us, rebuke us where necessary, bring us to repentance. Father, I pray that this morning be uh, glory to you. Give Kobe the words to speak. Father, I pray that you just um, be glorified in all that we do. Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to believe, and hearts to understand. Uh, and give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Cupid. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. My name is Kobe Wilbanks. I'm one of the elders here at the Grove Church. And I have the distinct pleasure of uh, being with you this morning and walking through uh, a passage that uh, is a little difficult. If you're listening to it as it, as it was read, this is not, um, this is not some easy uh, encouraging necessarily. It will be encouraged. But this is not something that's obviously encouraging. If you know me a little bit, um, this is hard for me. Uh, my name on my Chick-fil-A app is Olaf. Um, because I like to think I'm a pretty positive and encouraging person, right? So today is going to be a little different for Olaf here, <laughs> teaching a passage on uh, congratulations, you think you're alive, but you're actually dead. Um, I will say, though, I think names are important. And uh, my favorite name for me, however, is my grandparent name, okay? Yes, I'm a grandparent. Samantha and I are proud grandparents of not one, not two, not three, but four grandkids. Uh, there's a lot of stories there that I'd be glad to have lunch with and tell you about one day. But several months ago, or I guess a year ago now, we had this idea. We had to figure out what our grandparent name was going to be. Uh, this is a big deal because, you know, with your real name, you really don't get to pick it. Somebody else picks it for you. Parents, you're picking the names of your child, right? Uh, but we got to pick our own, well, I suppose we got to try to pick our own names, and then the kids, like, pick whichever one they want, right? Um, and so for our grandparents' name, this was a big deal for me. Um, Samantha had her grandparent name pretty much picked out from the get-go, Granny, Granny Sam, right? Um, but for me, I had several options, right? I had, uh, I had Pappy was recommended. 
I don't know, Pappy, Pawpaw, there's already a Pawpaw in the family. Uh, G-dubs was, was my contribution mainly to annoy my kids, like G, grandparent, or Grandpa Wilbanks, G-dubs. I don't know if it's a Z or, anyway, that was my contribution to annoy my kids. Um, but my favorite for a while was Grumps. Right, the thought was, it's like an opposite. You know, like the big guy named Tiny or the bald guy named Curly? That was the thought, right? The thought was that um, if, I'm, if I'm grumps, then that means I've got to be that much more, like, encouraging so that I'm not, like, so I don't match up with my name, right? But, but the problem is, and I think the reason I didn't go with grumps was because that's risky. Because, I mean, there's a secret part of me that one day wants to be the, the grumpy old get-off-my-lawn guy. Um, but the risk with being called grumps is that one day I wake up to find that that's actually true right? Today's passage, Jesus, like, basically wakes up and says, hey, you think your name is this, but it's actually this. Your reputation, your name, what you're known by is different. For the winner, just in case you're, you're looking at G-dubs. I know, right? I was kind of, anyway, when a little five-year-old grandkid comes up and says, hey, we're going to G-dubs house. Well, you can etch that in stone above the, the doorway right there. So, um, but today, let's jump into the church at Sardis, Revelation chapter 3. If you've been with us through Lent, you know that through Lent we're walking through these letters to the seven churches here at the beginning of Revelation. We've noticed that these letters follow a certain pattern. They all begin with a commendation. Generally, they begin with a commendation. Then there's some type of correction, of course, correction, and then there's, they end with a command. However, today, we don't begin with a commendation, right? We jump right in. We jump right into Jesus saying, and they, I lost my, Jesus saying, hey, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but yet you are dead. No, uh, in the words of Eddie Crucial, there's no praise sandwich here. Right, you know, when you're correcting someone, you say something like encouraging. Hey, I like oh, nice shoes. Um, you should have done this better. Oh, by the way, um, you look really nice today. Kind of this praise sandwich. You don't have that here from uh, the words of Jesus to the church at Sardis. You have, hey, I know what you've been doing. You look good, but you're really dead. Sardis, known as the sleeping church or the church of the dead faith. Um, Sardis was an important city during its day. It was the capital of Lydia. It was at the intersection of five roads. So if you know anything about ancient time, if you're on a trade route, that made you important. So if you're the intersection of five roads, that means you are a significant trading center. This is, uh, Sardis was one of the first cities, the first city in the world to really mint coins. So if you think about being rich, um, Sardis was rich. They were well off because they actually, to some degree, like invented currency. They were able to um, accurately mint a coin that was, that was pretty consistent. Um, they actually, uh, you know the story of the Midas touch where um, you had this guy who touched things and would turn to gold? Apparently the rumor is that the way he got rid of this was he washed his hands in the river outside of Sardis. And so that the rivers were full of gold so Sardis was a well-to-do city. Um, it was actually perched on a, um, on a plateau. It was 
kind of military, it's, it's very secure city. Um, there's a picture, we got a picture of this. So it was about 1,500 feet up. So it was very secure. They were, you couldn't get to it. You see, there's a tree here. But look at the background. You see this plateau? In the center of the screen, there's a little bit of a ruin. That's, that's what's left of what they call the Acropolis at Sardis. I mean, they were, if they were attacked, and then often they were, they were very secure up on this plateau. You just couldn't get to them. There are only a few ways in, and you would, you would put watchmen at those few entrances, and it was very secure. So it was rich, well-to-do, trading, important, um, and it was secure. They also, interestingly, had a great garment industry. <laughs> they, um, they were one of the first people to dye wool. And so all this, you start to see Church of Sardis, they had a lot of things going for them. Of course, the city was full of uh, paganism. There's a big temple there uh, to Artemis. Um, but what's interesting about Sardis is this. You know, in some of our previous churches that we've looked at letters that we've churched, there's a lot of persecution. That uh, the Christians or the Jewish population there was, they were, they were persecuted. Not so in Sardis. Sardis actually, there was, there's evidence of a pretty large Jewish population in Sardis. There's no mention of persecution of this population. And actually, in the few years after this letter was written, uh, they go on to build one of the largest synagogues of that time in Sardis. So it's interesting. It's very interesting that you don't have any persecution. The Jewish population basically is doing well. And then Jesus comes in, writes this letter to Sardis and says, hey, you've got a reputation of being alive. You got a good reputation. It's probably why they didn't get persecuted, right? But why do you think they had a good reputation? What leads to a good reputation for a church in a city? Ideas? Things like you do good things, right? They probably probably did some things for the city. Um, they probably had done good things in the past. Probably helped. Um, they were probably well known. Um, um, it's possible on the other side that they, they lacked opposition to the culture. You think about it, because if a church is speaking out against the culture, are they going to have a good name in that city? Probably not, right? So you start to see that maybe the church at Sardis was a little bit complacent. They'd done some good things, but yet they had become accustomed to the culture. They had grown comfortable with the world they were in. After all, what's not to love? Rich. You're wealthy, you've got everything you need uh, here in this town. And so Jesus writes this letter, hey, you've got a good reputation. You think you're alive, but you are dead. So the Sardis church looks good on the outside. But beware of looking good on the outside, right? You can look good on the outside and still be dead. Inside. Jesus tells us this a little bit um, in uh, Matthew 23. Remember when Jesus was preaching to the scribes and the Pharisees? Um, he calls them out. This is another religious group, right? He calls them out. Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Ooh, okay, yeah, there you go. For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like, get this picture, whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you appear beautiful, beautiful. But on the inside, you're 
full of dead people's bones. Sounds like the church at Sardis for some reason. Outwardly, had a good reputation. They made a good name of themselves, but there was something inside of them that was not right. By all accounts, what that is is spiritual complacency. There's this picture of we've done some good things in the past, um, but now we're kind of resting, becoming comfortable in our culture. So, got two warnings for us. I hear two warnings in this. So, if you're following along, if you're an outline person, I'm a visual person. I like to see outlines. You've got this. First, you've got this uh, call, right? Uh, a wake-up call to the people at Sardis. We're going to have a command, and then Jesus is going to come back with some comfort to uh, the conquerors. Okay, so first, we've got this wake-up call to the church at Sardis, and I think there's two warnings in this wake-up call. Hey, you look good, but you're dead. There's no, the first warning is this. It's a warning to those of us who may be spiritually dead. And that warning is that spiritual deception is real. What I mean by this is, look, y'all, it's possible for us to believe that we've got it all together, to believe that we are in the faith, to believe that we are believers and not be. Y'all, this is the stuff that, uh, that as an elder, as, as pastors, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. Look, look at what Jesus says. Jesus warns against this in Matthew 7. And this passage um, constantly follows me. Look at what he says. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Sounds like, oh, wait, we can do some stuff. Let's do some stuff. But look, what he, what, look what he says. He keeps going. On that day, many are going to come to me, the Lord's day, when he comes back. Many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we... And they list all the stuff that they did. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we even cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus declares this, some of the heaviest words in the Bible right here. Jesus declares to them, away from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Y'all, I, I, church, my church, the Grove Church, I want you to hear. There's a warning here to the church at Sardis right? You may look good on the outside, but, but I want you to be aware. There's a warning of, of, are you in the faith? Spiritual deception is a very, very real possibility, which is why Paul, in 2 Corinthians, Paul encourages us to do this, to examine yourselves. This is a passage we use sometimes when we talk about taking the Lord's Supper, but Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Test yourself. Examine yourself. Our first warning today, y'all, spiritual deception is real. It's possible for us to be deceived into kind of walking into the comforts of life. I'm doing the right things. I go to church. I say the right things. I said a prayer when I was little. It's possible, church, to be spiritually deceived. And that's very real. And I want you to hear that today. This is not the most encouraging thing. We'll get to the encouraging part. But before you get to the encouraging part, you've got to get to the reality part. Because if Jesus is telling us our name doesn't match up with reality, our reputation doesn't match up with reality, we've got to first examine what is, where are we? What is our reality? So that's the first warning, spiritual deception. The second warning is to those of us who may be spiritually complacent. 
And that warning is that our works and our words and accomplishments are never going to be enough. Y'all, this is, the, this is the gospel, right? Jesus, here in, um, in Revelation, we get to verse number two, and he says, um, he says, you were once alive, and well, ultimately he says, um, your works are incomplete, right? That your works, um, I've seen your works, and they're, they're incomplete. Some of us may find ourselves wor- resting on our past works. Maybe things like, maybe thoughts like this have come to your mind. Um, you know, I've done my time. Let me, let me let somebody else do this. I'll let somebody else serve. Um, or I, I know all this. Uh, we're in Luke. We're studying Luke in our growth groups. We're studying Exodus in our growth groups now. Uh, I know this. I know the story of Exodus. I've been there. I've, been do- I've done that. Spiritually complacent. I've heard this before. Yet maybe our current reality shows very few signs of life. What might some of those signs of life be? Maybe we struggle to pray consistently. Maybe we struggle to read the word. Maybe we uh, start finding excuses to avoid being with believers. Um, maybe our consistency in those spiritual disciplines are dropping, right? This idea of, of a warning to those of us who may be spiritually complacent. Again, um, our actions, past or present, no substitute for a current, true relationship with Jesus. Your actions are not what your, your position in Christ is founded on, your relationship with Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, my growth group, uh, probably a year or two now, did Hebrews, studied Hebrews. And one of the things I like about Hebrews is that the author, we really don't know who he is, but he didn't really pull punches. Hebrews chapter 5, he says this, verse 11. He's kind of getting on to them for not being where they should be. And he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain to you since you've become dull of hearing. All right, now, okay, um, dull of hearing, meaning I, it kind of washes over me. I don't really take it in. Dull, I don't hear the edge of it. I don't hear uh, the piercing nature of it. I'm dull of hearing. For those by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you still need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, now listen to this, powers of discernment trained by what? By constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Do you see this idea of the spiritual walk, the spiritual life is, is a constant, it's a consistency. So some of us may be spiritually complacent in that we've, we've kind of given in to the, some of that, kind of comfortable. We've adopted some of the, some of the um, comforts of our culture, much like the church in Sardis. But the good news is this. Jesus doesn't stop with verse 1. He goes on to give us like a call, a command. He gives us several things to do to bring back. Um, he says you're alive, but you're actually dead. But then Jesus switches metaphors in Revelation chapter 3. You're no longer dead. He switches to wake up. You're asleep. It reminds me of the Princess Bride. Buddy and Princess Bride, you remember um, Red Pirate Robert is now dead, and so they take him to Miracle Max to get um, undead, right? And Miracle Max, what does he say to him? He says, oh, fortunately, he's only mostly dead. If he were dead dead, then the only thing that would be useful would be, yeah, running out of his pockets, sticking his change out of his pockets. Oh, there you go, Amy. 
representing. So Jesus switches metaphors, and there's hope, y'all. There's hope. When Jesus calls them dead, there's, there's that warning to those who may not be in the faith, right? But there is still some sign of life. And so Jesus says, how do we, how do we take that spark of life, and how do we blow into it to, to, to return it to where it's flaming? So now we get, like, we get to that command for spiritual renewal or spiritual survival. What do we do? First thing he says is, wake up which that word really kind of can be translated, be watchful. You remember I told you that Sardis was located on this plateau and it was very, very secure? Well, Sardis actually was sacked twice in its history. It wasn't sacked because the, because the army just like ran them over. It was sacked because their watchmen failed. Actually, both occasions, uh, one was with the Persians, um, the enemy snuck in because the watchmen were uh, not doing their job. They, were, they got slack, right? Um, actually, the story goes that, that there was someone on the wall who dropped his helmet. And the enemy watched them go down to get his helmet and come back up. And so the enemy followed him up, entered, opened for the rest of the army, and the church was sacked. So if I'm in, if I'm in the church at Sardis, I know this about my city. I know that my city has a very secure history, but yet that the watchmen tended to fail on two more important occasions of my city's history. And so Jesus, when he comes in, he says, wake up or be watchful. Well, that carries some weight to the church at Sardis because they just got sacked, well, just several hundred years earlier. But it's part of that history. Um, wake up. So that's this idea of a call to awareness. It's a, a call to attention. Um, it's this idea, frankly, um, I go back to driving. I don't know why I do a lot of driving. Some of you over spring break have done a lot of driving. Um, some of us give the same spiritual attention, or the same level of attention to our spiritual walk as we do when we drive. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You just look around when you're driving in Houston, you see people doing all kinds of stuff in their cars while they're supposed to be driving. They're driving a one or two ton vehicle full of metal at 70 miles an hour. And what are they doing? They're, they got their phone out. They're eating, chasing chicken nuggets across the floor, putting on makeup. Um, I saw a guy one time drumming. I, like, I don't know how that works. You see people reading all the time. You got your music blaring. You're distracted. Um, but you know driving in Houston, you got to be aware. I was driving back last night on 610, coming back around, and... Uh, any point in time, you're going to come up with somebody trying to get in your lane. Last night, it was somebody just boop, coming over. Whoa, hey, hello, I'm here. Um, you know in Houston, too, at some point, you'll be driving along, and you'll just hit traffic. Right? You're going to come to a stop, and then you wait like I do. I wait to go, I wonder what's going on up here. And you long to see. Uh, yeah, maybe, it was, maybe it was police pulled somebody over. Maybe it was a car having car trouble. Maybe someone's getting arrested. Um, but no, usually in Houston, what is it? Usually it's nothing, right? You know, you get up there, you're sitting in traffic, you get up there and it starts to ease up and you go, okay, I wonder what's going on. There's like a cow in a field, you know, there's a building over there. I, I, there's nothing, right? So in Houston, you got to be attentive because nothing can cause traffic at any point in time, right? Being aware. So y'all, attentiveness, this watchfulness, this idea of, of wake up, it means, hey, y'all, give, let's give attention to our spiritual well-being. 
Let's pay attention. Let's, let's give the same attention as you would if, if it's bad weather, you're driving in Houston traffic, maybe you're coming back from Rudy's. You're at 59 and 99. And you know how when you come back from Rudy's, you got to work back through and you got to cut across like five lanes of traffic to get to the U-turn to come back, right? And you're, you're, it's, it's bad weather, it's dark, traffic, you're trying to cut, wait a second, no, it's not you, but it's your 15-year-old child who's driving. There's a level of attentiveness that comes with that that's uh, not your normal Houston driving attentiveness, right? You're watching, you're aware, you're seeing all this happening, you're waiting, you're moving, you're ready to go. That same level of attentiveness, that's what Jesus is calling us to. Wake up, take, a, take an assessment of where you are, what's going on, where are you, what is your reality? So wake up, and there's, it's urgent because of the consequences. See what he says in verse 3? If you won't wake up, what? Because I'll come like a thief in the night. Exactly what happened when they got sacked, right? Snuck in. I will come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I will come against you. Again, that's another reference to Sardis's path or past. Also sounds like something else Jesus said. Anybody remember Jesus saying something about coming like a thief in the night? Yeah, Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. Wake up, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, hey, look, if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief is coming, he would have stayed awake and wouldn't have let, that, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour at which you don't uh, expect. So wake up. Give this level of attentiveness. And number two, he says, wake up and what? Strengthen what remains. This is where there's a little bit of hope because what remains means there's something that's still there. There's still that spark. Unfortunately, this sounds to me like working out. Strengthen what remains. Uh, it sounds like a call to a spiritual workout. Um, I don't particularly care to work out. Um, I'm very blessed in that I don't really have to. It's great and good. Um, but this is a call to work out. This is a call to a spiritual workout. Strengthen what remains. It's kind of like, I'm going to go back to the watchman idea. The idea of a watchman. You guys that um, maybe you're law enforcement or we're in the military um, maybe you're a lifeguard. This idea of watching seems to me like, seems easy. But it's the idea that nothing's going to happen. The problem is you don't know when something's going to happen. Again, driving in Houston traffic. You've got to be attentive. You've got to be on your best uh, awareness. You've got to be sharp the whole time, although you, the, you're fighting the temptation to be lulled into, oh, we're good. I'm, I'm, I'm watching security. I'm watching security at a church. Nothing's going to happen, right? Hopefully, but you've got to be sharp the entire time, right? The idea of strengthen what remains is a spiritual workout of, of remaining constantly vigilant. This looks like our spiritual disciplines, y'all. This looks like reading. This looks like praying. This looks like gathering, joining with the saints. For us in our church, it's like a, a neighborhood group, a growth group. That's how we strengthen What's remains that that's how we stay constantly vigilant. So wake up, be watchful, strengthen what's remains and is about to die. And then verse three, he continues on. He says, "Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it." What is he remembering? Remember, we're watching out, 
We're strengthening what remains. And he says, remember what you've seen and heard, y'all. This is the gospel. For us in our context, we remember the gospel. One of the things that we say a lot in our church is um, we preach the gospel to ourselves. We constantly, the gospel is not just something that is the, the doorway to Christianity. It's not like, great, hey, you need to know the gospel so you can be saved. But, but it's also the path. This is how we live. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that you were dead and now Jesus came and made a way for us to be alive. Literally brings us to spiritual life. He awakens us. Oh, that's great news. That's good news. That's the gospel. We remind ourselves that at some point um, we were dead. We remind ourselves that we're sinners. We remind ourselves that we can't do it on our own, that our works are not enough. Our works are not complete. Our works are not perfect. I can't earn my way. I can't, um, I, I can't be the best. I can't be successful enough. I can't be good enough. This is the gospel, that I need a Savior, and that God provided a good, perfect Savior for us, who paid the ultimate penalty for our lives. We constantly remember that. That's our fuel. That's how we, that's how we walk into work tomorrow after so I'm in education. Um, I had a week off. This is great. Tomorrow morning is going to be terrible. But I can walk in tomorrow morning, and if I wake up in the morning and remind myself of the gospel and go, um, I, had a, I had a friend of mine in law school who um, I was complaining one day about uh, we were on a, a team that had a 50-page brief due. And we, of course, like most people, we're at the deadline, and we weren't ready, we were staying up late. And I was complaining about it. And he said, hey, relax, buddy. You've had an eternal death sentence overturned. This ain't nothing. I went, oh, okay. See y'all tomorrow morning, I could walk into work after a week off and coming back into some of, you know, the end of school for educators, it gets tough, right? From now to the end of school, it just gets worse every day. I, I was optimistic at one point. Grumps probably wasn't the best. I'm glad we didn't go with grumps. Um, but I can, I can go in tomorrow with a smile because I've had an eternal death sentence overturned. Y'all, that's the gospel. That's why we remember the gospel regularly because that's our daily fuel for how we continue to live. That's how we strengthen what remains. And then finally, remember what you have received and heard. Keep it. And the last word Jesus in his command is repent. We've heard that regularly through these letters to the churches. Repent, repent, repent. Repent is this idea of of something's happened, and afterwards we, we think about it, and we recognize that it needs to change, and we change. I picture um, like a coach at halftime. Your game plan, I'm, I'm basketball for me, but you can do football, you can do whatever your, whatever your sport is. You go in at halftime, and uh, you have a game plan, but your game plan's not working. You're getting beat. And so when I go in at halftime as a coach, I could go in and go, i, I got to first recognize that what I'm doing is not working. What I did, that's not it. And then I've got to decide to change. That's repenting. This idea of acknowledging that what I've been doing isn't working, and I'm going to change a just course. I'm going to change my mind, and I'm going to do something different. That's the idea of repenting. So the church at Sardis is this idea of, of, acknowledging, of acknowledging their complacency acknowledging that they've gone, grown comfortable with the culture, and then recognizing that, changing their mind and their course of action.
that's for us too. Um, for believers, that's, that's not just at salvation, right? That's the heart of salvation. That's how you become a believer. You repent and believe, right? We repent that, hey, look, I can't do it all on my own, and I believe. I repent of that. I change course. But then that's also how we, how we continue to grow, right? Daily, the Lord brings to mind areas where we need to repent, areas of our lives where we, um, we've been too prideful, we've been greedy, we've been lustful, we've been uh, whatever, fill in the blank. The Lord brings that to our mind, and we, we, we think and we consciously go, God, that's not right. I change my mind and my perspective and my course of action with regard to whatever that is. We repent. All right, so Church in Sardis, we had a, a wake-up call, a warning, right? We have had a command, a call to return. And then now we jump into the last piece, which is um, comfort for the faithful few and the conquerors. One thing's uh, a theme throughout the Bible that you'll see as you read the Bible is this idea of a remnant, that when Jesus destroys, or when God destroys something, usually he saves a group of people. Think of like Noah and the ark. Right? He got upset at the world, um, destroys the world, but he saved a remnant. Right? And you see that throughout the Bible. And you see that here. Verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. Remember the garments? Remember I told you they had um, kind of a good wool trade there? They dyed garments, right? So this would fit well with Sardis folks, the idea that, that they are in white. White was a symbol of purity. It's also a symbol of victory during this time period. And so it's this idea that they hadn't yet uh, compromised their belief with the culture. So there are people who remain, and that there is some encouragement there. Yet you still have a few names, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. You know that, that word walk, is that, that's the idea of our Christian walk of our, our lives. I think nowadays we don't walk a ton. When we walk, usually it's leisurely. Uh, maybe it's our Christian drive. Um, we drive and all different things, but regardless. They will walk with me in white. Why? For they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Y'all, the last thing I want you to see here you go back to the beginning of this, where Jesus talks about his rep, the reputation of the church at Sardis, the word for reputation is, is the word, the root word for name. And so that same word from the very, very beginning, where Jesus says, hey, you're, you're, the name for yourself, the name you've made for yourself is alive, but you're dead. I want you to see this, because this is, this is a redemptive picture. Jesus first comes in and says, hey, your name is actually dead. And then look at what he does at the very, very end. Y'all, the same word, the same word he uses three times here at the end, almost like a restoration. He would say, you still have a few names of Sardis. same word. And then look at what happens. I will never blot his name out of the book of what? Life. Do you see? Jesus just said you are dead. And now he's promising this eternal security to those who conquer, to those who consistently wake up, strengthen what remains, remember what you've heard and repent. There's a promise here of a complete 
and total game change. Complete and total repentance. He's providing that eternal security, right? I'm going to write your name in the book of life. And then Jesus, what does he do? He confesses your name. So whereas at the beginning, Jesus is calling their name out because they're fake, because it's not truly representative of the reality. Now Jesus is providing a path forward where he calls their name out as true. Y'all, that's, that's repentance. That's the gospel. Where we, we listen for where Jesus is calling us out, where he's challenging us. Like, hey, you appear dead. Listen to me, and I will provide eternal security. Oh, write your name in the book of life. That, that idea of writing your name in a book, at this time period, you would have had like Roman citizen ledgers where um, you'd literally they would have ledgers of, of Roman citizens. And it was a big deal to be a Roman citizen. It was a good thing. Lots of privileges. Due process, what we would call it, right? And among other things. Um, but there were times where, for example, if, if a Roman citizen was ever executed, they would actually like strike his name out. Like, you're not a Roman citizen. Jesus here is saying, look, your identity, your person forever is going to be written in my book. He explains the book a little more in Revelation chapter 20. If you want to go look at that a little bit later this week, where, where Jesus opens the books and judges people. And if your name is found written in this book of life, it's one thing. If it's not there, it means something else. I challenge you to go read that in Revelation chapter 20. Y'all, this is a, I hope you see this picture of redemption. He begins with a harsh rebuke of the church's hollow name and reputation. But he concludes with hope of restoration of that name. Security and a public proclamation of the truth of your name. In closing, um, the reason this is so heavy for me and so difficult for me to preach, y'all, um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but when we walk through these letters and we look at these churches, I tend to go, well, that doesn't really sound like, that doesn't sound like us. You know, like to the persecuted church. I, I think that's something foreign for us as American believers in our context. Some of us, have, we, we know folks, right? We've, we've got pretty deep relationships with folks in India, to a, a true persecuted church. But for us in America, I think I struggle with connecting with what these churches are going through. Except for maybe Sardis, right? You, know, you think about what Sardis was. They were in the middle of a worldly city, a sizable Jewish Christian population. Sound familiar? They were in a secure location. I don't know, think about America. Pretty secure. They had the ability to build places of worship. Remember, they built a synagogue, right? Y'all, our church, we're looking forward to building a place of worship, hopefully in the near future, right? We're looking forward to building. We can do that. They have the ability to, we generally uh, enjoy a good name in the community, just like the church in Sardis. There's no mention of persecution. Y'all, I'm afraid this wake-up call is for us as a church, um, for us as individuals in the church. Because this sounds the most familiar to me. And so I would challenge us today, church, the idea of, of first that warning about spiritual deception. I would remind you, if you're, like, if you're not a believer, man, I want, I want you to see that picture of redemption, of, of something being dead made alive. So I would welcome a conversation with you in that regard. But number two for us, this warning against spiritual complacency. 
Y'all be careful with our culture. There are a lot of cool things in our culture, but, but there's a warning against becoming comfortable and complacent with the things around us in our culture and ignoring or failing to provide an attentiveness to our spiritual well-being. I think that's for us. That's for me, and I would challenge that to be for you as well. So in conclusion, where, where are you? Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself in Sardis? Do you find yourself spiritually deceived, needing to know the true um, love of a, of a genuine creator? Do you find yourself complacent? Do you find yourself comfortable? Or are you one of these faithful few conquerors? Because there are some of you in, in our church who are consistently faithful. And to you, I would say, look, find encouragement. The fact that Jesus calls you out, you're going to be clothed in white, pure, victorious. He's going to call your name out. There's encouragement there. Where are you? As the band comes up, we're going to pray. I want you to just think through where do you find yourself this March 2023, end of spring break? Where do you find ourselves? What message does God have for you um, out of Revelation chapter 3? So pray with me. God, thank you for hard words. Thank you for um, direct truths and challenges. Um, and thank you for ways back. Thank you for ways to redemption. Thank you for um, commands that lead us to know you and to dig in deep with you. Father, I'm thankful for these people. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for all that you're doing in their lives and the lives of, the, of those around them. God, I pray that you would use this morning to allow us to have an honest assessment of our lives, of our church, and that we would um, dig in to you, that we would um, know you and we would focus our lives around you and that ultimately, God, our name because, becomes great because of your name, that we seek to make your name great and we find our identity and self and well-being all in the name of Jesus. God, we ask all this in your name.